everyone, this is Serene, your host Serene from IVPN Voice, and as we promised, we are on our second series of uh, IVPN Voice Book Club with our favorite, forever favorite uh, mentor and leader, Dr. Yusuf Ahmed. Um, hi, Dr. Ahmed. Hi, Serene. Nice to be here with you again. Nice to meet you, too. Um, I want to refresh everybody's memory about you. If uh, you may allow me, um, you are currently the chief pharmacist of Practice Plus Group that covers primary, secondary, and health in justice settings. Um, you graduated in 2005 in Masters in Pharmacy uh, from Strathclyde, is that correct? Yes, Strathclyde, yes. Uh, in the UK. You have an extensive experience in secondary care. In the past, prime in the in the past, you had primarily worked in large uh, health boards in Scotland and England. You're passionate about your workforce transformation, innovation in practice, continual improvement in patient care, as well as helping to shape the vision of pharmacy for the future globally. And this is why I'm always blessed to have you um, on our events. And always an IVPN voice. You're it's always a pleasure to learn from you. My pleasure, Sabine. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so today we will be discussing a book for another book for Simon Sinek. Uh, he is, uh, of course, everybody knows him. He is one of the best writers and authors about leadership, and possibly he's the, one of the top two most watched um, uh, speakers and TED Talks. So. Today's book, uh, just going into uh, the business right away, is uh, Leaders Eat First, uh, Eat Last. <laughs> <laughs> eat first. Um, that's what's happening right now, but we're going to be actually discussing um, the real uh, talk about why leaders should eat last and why some, um, some teams pull together versus others don't. So, without further ado, I will have you maybe introduce uh, the book. Yeah, us. pleasure, Serene. Thank you for that. And, and hello, everybody, wherever you are in the world and whatever time that you're listening this uh, uh, great book review of. We continue our journey, as Serene so eloquently mentioned, through the Tour the Horizon of Simon Sinek books. And this is the most recent one, Leaders Eat Last. I'm always excited to review Simon Sinek's book because his mantra chimes with me uh, very closely and for me has been the epiphany of leadership in my own personal journey and understanding who I am as an individual but also as a, as a leader. Now, this book, uh, The Leaders Eat Last, is, is actually quite simple. Uh, and the essence of it details that the buck stops at the leader's desk. In other words, those of us that lead may not always understand the impact of our leadership roles and how that impact 
has on people that we may lead. And this book goes down into the minutiae of actually understanding leadership from a very simplistic, very honest and very sincere angle. And uh, uh, Leaders Eat Last really talks about leadership being more than just about numbers. It, it is about helping people to thrive and find the meaning of their work. Uh, it goes on to talk about leaders are responsible to, to take the care of their people, to take care of them and to look after them like they are their own family. Unfortunately, many leaders in many organizations have lost sight of this fundamental truth that this book discusses. Uh, Simon Siddick quite eloquently explains where, where people have gone wrong. It gives examples of teams that have done really well, but more importantly, talks about the need of creating human safety. And we'll go on to, I'm sure, talk about that, Serene, shortly. It also goes on to discuss key things such as the, the circle of trust, empathy, and understanding how our happy chemicals work in our brain. Uh, so all of this kind of helps us to understand some of those fundamental truths of leadership, some of those things that we yet to really understand completely, empathy, care, trust, the vision of reality, and, and, and really puts a whole different angle on the concept of leadership. And it really builds on to from that why question, which is great, you know, understanding our why is wonderful, but understanding others and their why helps you to become a, a better leader. Yes, absolutely. I, that's a great introduction and great summary for the book. And we're gonna be going into the nitpicky of some of the concepts and uh, uh, sum, summarizing some of the concepts about being a great leader. Um, I believe some of us find it hard to believe that in each one of us, there is a potential for leadership. Um, and a leader, it doesn't, you don't have to have a title to be a leader. Um, but in, in, the, in the sense of healthcare and co uh, corporate world, that the first concept that Simon Sinek discussed is safety is needed um, to, to have a progress. And I'm glad that you are here. You are the star of leadership in pharmacy in UK. <laughs> so I'm gonna put you on uh, on this right away into the task yeah. and and uh, explaining to us a little bit in more detail about, on how to we can put this into practice. Yeah. How can we have a safe environment, and how do you help others in within your organization? Yeah, yeah, great question, Serene. Uh, and I think the circle of safety from the book is a key, key example here. So I'll just read a Simon Sinek quote that comes to my mind. So the whole purpose, so Simon Sinek goes into his book and opening quote, the, the whole purpose of maintaining the circle of safety is so that we can invest all of our time and energy to guard against the dangers outside. It's the same reason we lock our doors at night, end quote. And this is a quite profound quote that kind of gives us a lot of context to, to dive into. So, you know, firstly, just talking about the circle of safety before practical examples, the circle of sa safety in this book tells us that we should focus on helping each other rather than one-upping 
each other. So this mm -hmm. is about promoting others around you, promoting their work, supporting their achievements, supporting their uh, efforts, rather than pointing the finger, rather than uh, making others look bad and yourself look good. Yeah. Th that circle of safety really focuses on building trust and protection from the outside. So if you think about the world of pharmacy, we work in teams, small, large teams. We work in departments, small and mm -hmm. large departments. The the misconception here is that, and, and, and this is not just related to pharmacy, but you know, pharmacy does play a big role here, is that we quite often want to be the senior. We quite often want to have a management title we quite often want more money. We quite often want people to respect us by our position. We quite often want to be the loudest voice in the room. That is contrary to the circle of safety because you're looking after number one. And yeah. Simon Sinek goes into this, um, and this again, lesson for us is that if we start to lift other people in our teams, other people in our departments, other people that we are responsible for, we automatically lift ourselves. Mm -hmm. we automatically save the team, the department, our people from the dangers of the outside world, quote unquote. So this is this is where the cultivating your circle of safety by promoting the the work of each other by selfless endeavors for the betterment of the team is much better than actually your own individualistic mindset. And I think I think this is where, again, to answer your question even more directly, in mm -hmm. the world of pharmacy, we have empathy and sympathy for our patients, but we don't have empathy and sympathy, sympathy for the people that we work alongside. That, that for me, that's a very strong statement, but I think it has mm -hmm. to be said. We are very, very good at caring for people under our care, but we aren't as good as caring for the people we work alongside. And and that's for me is the most simplistic um, application of the of the circle of safety by by caring for those people that are in our immediate surroundings, the people that we work aside. We automatically create trust, and we automatically create our circle of safety. So I think empathy is a very strong word, which we band about quite often. And I think people like talking about empathy. Yeah, empathy, we know what it is. We, we know with this and that. But I think empathy is misunderstood. Empathy is not a commodity. It can't be exchanged freely. It has to be earned. And it has to be continually um, uh, cared for. Yeah. It has to be continuously practiced. And um, it is very difficult to practice sometimes. And some people may think that empathy could be a weakness. Um, where in, in opposite, it's actually a strength um, because they actually build an environment of trust and collaboration that can help the company to grow um, stronger and help us have um, a better environment to tower uh, to tower over our competitors in general. Yeah. So this is where uh, the differences between companies and um, corporate um, environment, those who are successful, 
and those who are not successful in leadership. Yeah. So and she, is, yeah. is needed to progress and a trust is necessary. Um, it's not, unfortunately, we think these are like, um, these are simple ideas that is common sense and it should not be um, even, it should be like a given, right? But it's ironic that we are actually very like, when we're when we're listening to these books or reading about it, we will be, we are you know we're like shocked that oh yeah that should be existing. Um, it's ironic that it's not existing, and that's why people are writing about these ideas because it's, it's needed and it's not present. And that's why it's always needed to go over some of these books to kind of highlight these thoughts. Um, so us in the workforce are aware. Of um, of what a work environment should be. Yeah, and so one of the key points in the book when we look at this this culture or this or this circle of safety is about environment. Yeah, we I think um, and and just to put some context to this, we we all know what the last two years have been for for everyone, you know, and some people have had a really really difficult time. I for one, believe in the in the healthcare arena, the the mental and physical burnout is the next big epidemic of of healthcare and their workforce. There's mm-hmm. people in systems up and down the country, up and down the globe, that are really really burnt out. And one of the things leaders need to cultivate is not only the circle of safety, but cultivate their safety when it comes to the environment, the environment at work. And Simon Sinek's book here goes into depth about creating the right environment to cultivate the right professional. And that's what I get from it. And you know, the environment at work is one of the key things that I always like to make sure we try to get right and improve the environment of encouragement and one that meets the basic human needs to live, to learn, to feel value, to feel significant is where most people thrive in. Most people soar higher than expected when they have an environment of safety to, to, to really pull themselves forward. So I think that is very important to, to realize. And one of the other things people say to me quite often is that people, some people don't change. People don't change. I don't know what to do. I've done everything, but my, my team doesn't change. And I say to them, change the environment, then the people will change because of that. You know? I do have a nice quote that once I said to my old boss. <laughs> Let's hear it. Yeah, and I was like, when a flower doesn't bloom, you change the environment, not the flower. So yeah, it's it's. I believe it's um every every you need to treat every employee as as a flower or um and really you just need to nourish that flower and it will bloom and give you the best uh, sense. And um, it will bloom very well if you actually treat it, treat the flower very well. Yeah, yeah, well said, well said. Um, so another, another, uh, the, another discussion he mentioned. He mentioned discussing about authority versus leaders. Um, it, it comes from the building the environment that's safe, 
um, and versus like you're talking to an authority versus you're talking to a leader. So you feel more safe talking to a leader than an authority. You just basically do what an authority tells you to do um, just because you're scared of losing the job. Uh, where a leader, you don't, you, it, it's a completely different sense when you are really working with in a safe environment. So in your day-to-day -day job, how do you, how are, were you able to actually use author, your authorities and um, being a leader? How can you play that game, I would say? Yeah, yeah. So it's quite interesting here, Celine, because authority, ha it reminds you of hierarchy. Right. And hierarchy reminds you of a framework or a structure. And a framework or a structure reminds you of things go up and things go down. And those are very archaic, very old theologies mm -hmm. around how corporations and teams should be structured. There should be one passage of power, up or down, and they should be uh, subordinates, i.e. people at the bottom of that structure. And that, for me, is a very, you know, 1990s, you know, rhetoric, which is fast becoming out of date. It is out of date. Uh, and there's many companies now that are still practicing and behaving in that way and, and, and are running to, to understand what they do now because the type of individuals we have, the younger generation, Generation Y, Generation Z, don't understand what that means, that authoritarian, framework, rigid way of being. And I'm not saying that, you know, lines of command are wrong. I'm saying the way we go about it is wrong. We set we set decision making only at a certain level. We set strategy making only at a certain only with certain people. And this is for me why there is a clear difference of authoritarian individuals and leaders. Because leaders look beyond the framework. Leaders have a bigger cause. Leaders have a why which transcend frameworks. And, and I think this is where the difference is, is that people and individuals and people within workforces understand more now the, the why question and, and are more relatable to understanding a why question than author, authoritarian. So if you think about my parents, for example, you know, uh, they would understand a hierarchy of power the power sits at the top and we have to follow. Whereas the workforce of today has nothing to do with that. I don't even understand that. So one of the ways which I try to, try to empower my staff is by disseminating the power, mm -hmm. i.e. individuals within teams have the power to make the change. Teams within a directorate have the power to make a change. Directorates within a hospital, for example, have the power to make a change. The power sits with the people. It doesn't sit with the hierarchy of the top. Yeah. And, and I think that even just talking about that and understanding power in that way automatically empowers individuals. And then when you have that circle of safety and when people have the, the knowledge that they have the power, that automatically feeds into change happening. 
So um, I, I think what, you know, I, again, to answer your question directly, it's about making people aware of your intentions when it comes to power and authority. And secondly, it's about being able to offload that power, give that to your people and let them run with it. Let them make decisions, let them make changes, because ultimately they will probably make better changes than you would. And if they fail, that's okay, because we can just try again, be better. There's more understanding and there's more power in failure than in success, you know? So I I think that's, for me, is one of the ways to do it. It's quite easy. Again, we're talking about very, very, very big topics. It's quite easy what we say. In reality, it's quite difficult to do because the environment is different. People are different. The mindset is different. And I appreciate you have to take all those things into consideration, but we have to start somewhere. And Mm -hmm. all it takes is one individual within one team to make a change for that then the environment to change and then for the power to change, the power dynamic to change. Yes. You know, one of the things that actually frustrate me is that um, you will see oftentimes that people in leadership in the the C-suite, they know so little about the day-to-day job. And the day-to-day job is actually what's making the company a company or a corporate or a hospital a hospital. Mm-hmm. So all the time as an employee, you try to kind of give this information or whatever you actually need it, need to have a successful uh, to have a successful company. You try to give this information upward, you know, but it doesn't get there. So in, instead, what Simon Sinek said that authority needs to go down. In the opposite, then not, not us trying to kind of relay the information up. It's the opposite. That authority needs to go down to the day-to-day um, yes and work with the employees side by side to know exactly what's needed to get the job done in the yes. most efficient way. We talked about efficiency and as well having an environment uh, that uh, encourage uh, creativity. Um, and that doesn't usually work because a yeah. lot of times you often need to try and keep trying and fail and keep trying to be yeah. able to succeed. And that's not efficient. Uh, so it's the opposite of efficiency, which what we hear often in, in, the, in the corporate world, that we need to have an efficient system, uh, but creative system as well, yeah. which is... difficult concept for me to understand so how can we balance that yeah i think one of the things again a lesson from the book that i take away is be a long-term leader be a Mm long-term leader what does that mean so you know this is a good quote from uh, from the book so simon sinek talks about good leadership open quote is like exercise Mm -hmm. we do not see any improvement to our bodies uh, until we practice in fact, we only compare that our bodies look on a given day based on the previous day. Uh, therefore, leadership is to see a difference. It requires practice, it requires perseverance, and it requires time, so weeks or months to see the difference. The impact of leadership is best judged over time, end quote. So th- this is a great answer to your question is that one 
think about leadership in the long term. Don't think about what it can do for you today and tomorrow, next week. Think about how your teams and what they need in the next year, in the next two years, in the next three years. And one of the ways to do that is to spend time with them. So it goes back to your point. And I do this to this day. I spend time with my people on the call face. I work clinically still. You know, I have a clinical slot. But more importantly, I spend time with them. I sit with them. I attend clinical ward rounds with them. I attend, you know, I work in the department with them. I spend time with them. That's what I do. And that, for me, you learn more from the afternoon spent with your pharmacy colleagues than a week spent reading papers in at executive level. You know, there's more power in learning from those working on the front line. But more importantly, you're able to do two things. One, make changes that have a more positive impact. And two, build relationships of trust. And going back to the circle of safety, build relationships of trust that help you in the long run. And, you know, and I would say to anyone in a leadership, everybody's in a leadership position, I would say to anyone, spend time with each other, build that relationship. And that time, I know it's very difficult because time is very short for everyone, but you invest that time, you're able to reap the rewards for a very long time afterwards. So leadership, be a long-term leader, practice leadership, good leadership, and judge leadership over time. Don't, don't judge it by decisions. And I think Simon Sinek's book is, is a very useful reminder to this, is that the best decisions at the time may be short-sighted decisions. The best decisions are for all time. If you're able to make a decision for all time, that seems to be the best decision. And that's some of the things I think about being a, a short-term leader versus a long-term leader. And there's lots of great examples, corporate examples, in, in this book that talk about companies that have long-term leaders and those companies stand the test of time. So what I say to people in the healthcare industry and in the pharmaceutical industry, make decisions not based on now, but based on all time. And if you think that mindset helps, that mindset will change the way you, you practice as a leader. Yeah. And I love this quote from uh, his book as well. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Um, so it's very important that you you practice as a leader and you also influence others as, um, to do more and be the best uh, the best uh, the best versions of their of themselves as well. Um, he also talked about honesty and integrity which is mm. uh, easy, <laughs> but it's tough to practice. Um, so he, he, it's important for us to understand that being a leader, you really have to say things, even if it was hard to say, uh, you just need to say it as it is, without any uh, you know, flourish um, terms. It just needs to be said. Um, so honesty and integrity, it, it gets lost, at times, as you move the ladder up, um, and, and it's, an, it's an unfortunate fact, but um, it's you really need to have a an honest opinion to your to de deliver an honest opinion to your people for them to get better, but at the same time not to have a threatened uh, environment where yes. uh, your honesty become more as a threat. So it's a fine line. Um, how do you practice that? 
Um, yeah, it's a fine line indeed. I think I think honesty, integrity are the most important commodities of the future, uh, and they are the most rarest commodities. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and, and and I think it's important just to acknowledge that honesty and integrity um, is something that's practiced daily, but it's something that's practiced without the accolade. Honesty and integrity are so difficult because quite often they don't come with a medal. They don't come with an applause. They don't come with uh, a certificate. Mm -hmm. And therefore, quite often, they are lost because as individuals, we are conditioned to receive once, once we give something. You know, there should be an exchange there. Uh, but honesty and integrity are things which we live day in, day out, and we continue to give, but don't always expect to come back. And that's why it's very, it's very rare. And I think the future of leadership and the conversation of leadership will focus more on integrity and honesty than any other theme. And I think that's 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 the conversation we'll have in 10 years' time, Serene, if you're still here. What does honesty mean? What does integrity mean? And how does that mean? I, I, I predict that. Uh, and and the book the book goes in to talk about some specifics around the chemicals in our brains and how that helps us to think about honesty and integrity. Um, and we can go into that if you have some time. Yeah. But to, to, to answer your question firstly directly, I think it requires an individual to know... They always talk about the sandwich method. Sorry to interrupt. They always yeah, talk they, about the sandwich, the sandwich method. Right? Say something good, the bad thing, and then close it with something really good. Where it sometimes cannot, it, it, the honesty will be lost there. So how can you say something direct <laughs> um, and, yeah. and build the trust? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, they call it, I, I, that sandwich model, God, is still going around, yeah. So I, I think it's, it's not what you say, it's how it's said. Mm -hmm. So the intention, the tone, and and the time taken to build the relationship means that you could say anything you need to say if you understand those things. So communication, and this is what my mother has always told me, which I only understand now than before. It, it's it's the way you say something than what than what you say that counts, but you can only say it if you have built that relationship with the individual. So you imagine you have something difficult to say to someone that you've never met. Doesn't matter how you say it, doesn't matter what method you use, it will always come out bad because you don't know each other and, and it's a difficult message to give. But imagine you're giving the same message to someone you've built a relationship with, you've built a circle of safety with, with a circle of trust with. Doesn't matter what you say, that person will see, feel safe with you and will understand that it's coming from a good place. So I'm I'm I don't I'm not too concerned about the method you use. I'm concerned and more I feel more in, emboldened to 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 understand how you say it and what you've done to create that relationship with the individual to allow you to say anything that you need to say. So I think I think there's a lot of pre-work that needs to go into things like relationship building, like spending time with individuals, 
rather than understanding how to say it, rather than understanding which method to say it. And to be honest, that that essence of spending time with an individual is what is lost because we are so we are so busy in our lives uh, through social media, through our day-to-day work, through our family work, through other things. We're so busy that we've lost the foundations of what makes us click with each other. You know, for we we run away and try to find a method, but what we realize the method is is not the crucial part. It's what we do before we even reach that point. Right. Um, I loved how he also talked about leadership and parenting. And I believe mm-hmm. if we use that parenting um, sense when we are uh, with a group of uh, with our colleagues, treat them as brothers and sisters. Um, it will be a lot easier for us to build that relationship and trust because you're not going to do something bad to your son in general. You build that relationship, you hope the best for them, and you are building that, uh, um, you're putting that energy to hopefully, and with time, like you said, that leadership um, shows up with time. Like you will see the result of your good leadership with time. Same thing to your parenting as well. When you're raising mm-hmm. a child, it's with time when you will see um, the the result of who uh, of yourself as a good parent. So sometimes, as well, you are a bad parent. Bad parent as well. You think that of yourself, you're a bad parent, uh, which is it's normal. Uh, we cannot be good leaders all the time. Um, but I believe we can still use our um, compassion and still treat our our colleagues as brothers and sisters. And that would help us uh, to build that trust environment. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny that Serene, that um, you know, you love your children, but you don't every day. But you don't need to like them every day. But you still. Love them. <laughs> You know, and Simon Sinek's most famous example when he talks about teams is his example of the military, you know. So he talks about, you know, how teams, everybody works in teams, you know. It doesn't matter if you work in a hospital, you work in a pizzeria, you you work in, you know, uh, uh, an office, you work in a team. Why is it that in the military you have brothers and sisters, but in other teams you have colleagues? Why is that? Why is that, you know? Mm-hmm. Team is a team, but in the military, they they built that relationship to a degree where each and every one of them are considered brothers and sisters, and each and every one of them is prepared to make the most sacrifice, the biggest sacrifice they can for their other brothers and sisters, you know? That's the type of team they build in the military, but in a working environment, in a corporate environment, sadly, we build teams to stab each other in the back. Mm-hmm. That happens. We build teams, sadly, to push people down and and promote other people. We build teams that actually thrive on the destruction of others. Why do we do that? And we need to spend time to understand that in order for us to apply some of the theories in the books of Simon Sinek. And that for me is a is a wonderful example that I keep at the front of my mind. How do I create a team of brothers and sisters, but not a team of work colleagues? Because that is the ultimate goal for me as an individual leading an organization. Exactly. It's, an, it's, um, it's very interesting how he talked about in the army, they 
you know, not many people like they will sacrifice their lives to protect the people. Although if they meet that person on person to person, they may not like them, but they will sacrifice their lives to protect you. And that's how we should have that concept and that mindset as well in the healthcare environment. And the same thing we do for our patients. We sacrifice our lives and we do our best to help them regardless if we like them or not. So why don't we do that in a work environment? Yeah. So yeah. It, it takes practice. It takes time, but we still have hope. Yes. And I think it goes back to all the points that we discussed earlier. It's about the environment. It's about the uh, culture of safety. It's about trust. It's about integrity. So it's so, it's about all those big topics that we talked about, which the, the book goes into. And it's also about understanding humans to a more deeper level. We spend four, five, six, seven, eight years learning our trade, becoming competent in, in our profession. We spend five, six, seven, eight minutes understanding what humans are. And I think that's a, the biggest differential. We don't invest enough time in understanding how we function as an individual and how we function as teams and we don't spend enough time on that and we're lost in the technical aspects of our jobs rather than the humanistic aspect of our jobs. Yes so many articles and so many talks recently as well talked about in uh, bullying in the workforce environment and that mm. um, like you mentioned that stress and anxiety at work have less to do with the work we do and more to do with weak management and leadership. So when leaders, leaders allow bullying and belittling others in, their, in an environment, it causes stress and anxiety. And they mm. don't know that, that you carry that back home and that your kids and family sees that. Um, so it mm. doesn't matter to me, if I, like you mentioned, that they, your kids will, will have better life if they see you as a happy person back to home. Then spending spend ten day ten hours at work and come back happy. Then spending five hours at work and come back yeah. stressful and anxious and and um, yeah. it's it, it, it's not only it's not limited to the workplace. It it carries over yeah. to your yeah. personal life. Yeah, and and I, I've got you know everybody has examples they can share, and I, I've got my own personal examples, having worked with great managers and leaders, and having worked with poor managers and leaders, and I can tell you when you when you're working under a poor manager or a poor leader, it has a profound effect, not only at work but as you say, Serene, at home, you know, yeah. it has a profound effect on your social interactions. It has a profound effect on your emotional stability. It has a profound effect on your ability to connect with other humans at any level. And, and poor managers and leaders, unfortunately, don't recognise that and don't understand that. And, mm -hmm. and it's so, so difficult when you're in that situation. But this, what I say to people, what I say, to, what I remind myself is that there is light at the end of the tunnel. For every poor manager or leader, you're guaranteed to find a very good manager and leader. Uh, and so don't lose hope when you're in that situation because I know how that feels and I've lost hope, but don't lose hope because poor managers and poor leaders ultimately do get found out at some point and, and they get their comeuppance. It's your ability to become resilient when you're faced with that that sets you up for the rest of your life. So my experience has created resilience in me 
so that if I'm faced with that again, I not only recognise it, but I'm able to stand up to it. Yes, 
again, helps us to preface that question. To answer your question more directly, how do you balance profit with with people? I, I think it, it's about not being scared of the question around profit or money. I think sometimes it's seen as a dirty word, profit. Sometimes it's seen as a oh, we can't talk about that. I think we need to we need to accept organisations and companies need to perform. We need to accept that profit is is a reasonable thing to accept. But one of the things we need to also do is is give the fair share of the profit conversation within the wider context. So profit can dominate the conversation. It can take part of the conversation. So those other parts such as workforce, such as development, such as education and training, such as care, all have to make equal parts of the conversation. So I think I think we need to accept it. We need to give it its place, but we need to make sure we don't over-focus on it. Yeah. And it goes back to the subject of parenting. So when you're uh, when you're losing money as a parent, you come back home, you you sell your car and your house, not your kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so it's it's a very similar concept um, to keep in mind when we are leading people. And you can always run a company, but you 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 lead people and humans as well. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, I believe we discussed so many concepts and I do want to respect your time. And I know you had a long day, but it's always a pleasure for me to learn from you. Um, and we're going to have another book as well next month. Yes. And inshallah, we'll meet again for another book club with another leadership book. Uh, and we'll make the announcement at that time. Um, I'm not sure if we have any comments or any questions from the audience, but let me see. Even if people watch this back, we're happy to take questions and answers. If you put everything in your comment section, we'll probably respond between Serene and I. So even if you're watching this back, please do interact. Uh, touch bases with Serene in particular, uh, and we're happy to keep the conversation going, I guess. Yes, wonderful. In the meantime, um, it was a pleasure to learn from you. And um, we need to be, I believe, in a corporate world, in a day-to-day, um, uh, uh, we need to treat each other as brothers and sisters and and lift each other. And that's how we can best um, perform. Um, just be safe and stay safe. <laughs> Thanks, Serene. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you, everyone.